Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 2. One down, four to go. Right? Five chapters? I should know, right? Uh, today we'll be looking at verses uh, 1 through 3, where Peter writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen. Uh, now last week we did finish chapter 1, but as you know, uh, Peter or any of the other biblical authors, they didn't, they didn't include the chapter and the verse divisions. That came later. So there's no actual break between chapters 1 and 2. I think that for the most part, the dividers, I guess that's not true of Psalms. Psalms inspired division there. But for the rest of the Bible, someone else did it. And for the most part, I think they did a good job. But here, I I think I would have continued on a little bit. What we find at the beginning of chapter 2 flows from what came at the end of chapter 1. And if you remember... Near the end of chapter 1, Peter gives the command, it's what we talked about last week, to earnestly love one another. In verse 22, he writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from that pure heart. God, by purifying our souls, our hearts, ourselves, all of us, of those who obey the truth of the gospel, has prepared us to love one another earnestly. It's laid down that foundation. Peter then adds, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. We're given the power, the ability uh, to love one another earnestly since or because we've been born again new creatures in Christ Jesus. And our new birth was accomplished uh, not through our own efforts, not through anything we did, but through the imperishable, living, abiding Word of God. The Word, God through His Word, I would say, gives new life. And the Word gives the power to love one another earnestly. And as Peter then writes in verse 25, the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So chapter 1 ends with a a tribute, if you will, to God's word. It remains forever. It was preached to you. So if you receive the word of God, if you've obeyed the truth of God's word, and if you continue to allow that, that word to transform your hearts, then you have the ability, the power to earnestly love one another. So while commanding us to love one another, Peter has also made the importance in that loving one another, and I think in the Christian life in general, the importance of God's Word. And that continues into chapter 2. The first word of chapter 2 is so. So, what follows is based on what's gone before, because the, the good news was preached to you, that's how Uh, Chapter 1 ends, and because the good news of God's Word can empower you to love one another, here's what you're to do. Chapter 2 begins with the result of God working in in your new life through His Word, purifying your heart and empowering you to love one another. 
Chapter 1 ends with the word that was preached. And chapter 2 begins with a, a, not all, this is a. Uh, Peter's focusing in on our relationships with one another. So that's where he's applying it here. A result of receiving God's word. Verse 1 of chapter 2 is very pragmatic. You've received the word, the word that brings new life, the word that brings a pure heart, the word that empowers you to earnestly love one another. So, do this. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Peter gives a list of things that God's word empowers you to put away. And they all have to do with our relationships with one another. That was his focus at the end of chapter 1, and he continues it here in chapter 2. Put away malice. Stop having wicked desires to hurt one another. Put away deceit. Do not engage in deception or trickery against one another. Now these apply, he's still in the context of the church, the one and others, and, and I think uh, we're, we're aware that we're supposed to love our neighbors, we're supposed to even love our enemies, so this applies to all people, but it's still in the context of the church. Put away hypocrisy. This word uh, literally means the acting of a stage player. Don't act. It includes the idea of deceit, of acting one way while deceiving another regarding your true intentions. In your relationships with one another, put away this acting like you're something you're not, saying one thing while meaning another. Then put away envy. Don't be envious or jealous of one another. And finally, put away slander. Don't engage in backbiting, speaking evil of one another. These are all things that that we're to put away in our relationships with one another. This is what we're not to do. This is what we are not to feel. Notice that there's a a deep emotional component here. Malice and envy are extremely negative emotions. And deceit, hypocrisy, and slander are actions that flow from these and other negative emotions. Maybe the emotion that most often uh, flows from this, uh, maybe we can summarize this with just that, that, that terrible word, hate. It all flows from hate. Now this phrase, put away, in the Greek is one word. It means to lay aside or to cast off. Peter's saying, do not allow these emotions, these actions, to be part of who you are. In fact, these are the exact opposite of who God has empowered you to be. These are the opposites of what it means to earnestly love one another. Hate destroys relationships while love builds them up. Hate will tear people down while love will build them up. So put away hate, cast it off, and instead put on love. Put away malice and put on love the desire to help one another. Put away deceit and put on love the desire to be truthful to one another. Put away hypocrisy. And put on love, the desire to be real, to have genuine relationships with one another. Put away envy and, and put on love, the desire uh, uh, that, that another experiences their best. Instead of envy in them, desire their best. 
Put away slander and put on love. The building of one another up with words of truth and encouragement. So flowing from chapter 1, Peter has said, So, because of the good news that was preached to you, and because the good news of God's Word can empower you to love one another, put away these negative emotions and actions. These things that are the opposite of earnestly loving one another. Now, even though, I don't know if you noticed this, but even though Peter didn't explicitly make the connection here in chapter 2 between what we're to put away, hate, malice, envy, etc., to put those away, he didn't make that connection with love. I took the liberty of sort of contrasting those, showing us how these negative emotions and actions are in contrast to love. And I feel okay about doing that. Because in the book of Colossians, that's exactly what Paul did. In chapter 3, verse 8, he writes, But now you must put away all, uh, put them all away, anger, malice, excuse me, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Paul then, in verses 9-11, through sort of explains a little bit about what that means. And he includes telling us to put on uh, our new self. And then in verses 12-14, through 14, he writes, Put on then as God's chosen ones. Peter's not the only one that talks about us as the chosen, the elect. Paul does as well. As those who've been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So Paul tells us what to put away and what to put on. To put away the negative emotions and actions of hate and instead put on the positive actions and emotions of love. But that's not where Peter goes. That's not where he goes next. And we're in 1 Peter, not in Colossians. So that's where we're going to go. He's already commanded us to earnestly love one another. So the contrast is there between this negative and positive emotions and actions. And he's linked our ability to obey that command to love one another with the fact that we have received God's Word. So instead of returning to love, he returns to the Word. And he gives us the command to desire God's Word. This is so crucial. If you're not paying attention, which I'm sure you all are, just by the way, there's no accusation there, but this is extremely crucial here, this, this, this point number two, the command to desire the Word of God. This is key to our Christian life. This is, our, this is key, I think Peter believes, to the living as exiles, as elect exiles in this world. So you've received the Word of God, he says, You're empowered to put on love and to put away hate. Then in verse 2 of chapter 2, Peter writes, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Now you might notice that the ESV, that's what I preach from, doesn't make it immediately apparent that Peter is telling us to long for or desire the Word of God. That's that's point 2 here. That's actually the title of the message. So I think it, it says that. Let me give you the same verse in the NASB. 
and then explain why they're a little different. The NASB says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Now, both translations are technically accurate. They both fall into the, uh, what we call the range of meaning of the Greek word logikos. Logikos. The ESV translates it spiritual, which is one of its meanings. And the NASB translate it, translates it the word because it comes from the Greek word logos or word. Now, because of the context, because Peter has been writing about the word, He's just said, you've received the word. The word lasts forever. I think the NASB has the right idea. But even if uh, a pure spiritual milk is the more literal translation, we would have to ask, uh, what does Peter mean by pure spiritual milk? And in the context, the only real answer is the word of God. Bottom line is, we're commanded, underline commanded, No, I don't know, in in your notes. It's already underlined, never mind. We're commanded to long for the pure spiritual milk, which is the Word of God. And this makes perfect sense, because Peter has already established that we can love one another earnestly from a pure heart because we've been born again through the imperishable, living, abiding Word of God. The source of our ability to love one another comes from our new birth... It comes from God, who gives us the new birth, and it comes from God's Word. So the command comes, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word. It's through the power of the pure milk of the Word that we're born again. It's through the power of the pure milk of the Word that we can put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and and instead earnestly love one another. So like newborn babies, we're to long for the pure milk of the Word. Now what does it mean that like newborn babies, we're to long for the pure milk of the Word? Well, I'm not sure I noticed this when I was a new father. I don't actually remember those days. They're kind of all a blur. But as a new grandfather, I've seen just how much newborn babies long for their mother's milk. When we were in uh, St. Louis recently, my beautiful granddaughter, Amelia, made this very, very clear. One evening, we went out to eat, and we had a a 30-minute drive, 30-minute drive home. Along the way, Amelia, who was stuck in a car seat, I know that car seats are good, by the way, but sometimes they're a problem. But she's stuck in her car seat, and she made it extremely clear just how much she deeply longed for her mother's pure milk. I've never in my life heard a baby scream so loud and so long. Both Christina and Ashley uh, were in the back seat doing everything they could to stop her from screaming, to distract her and comfort her. Michael and I were trying to find music that would uh, distract her from her cravings but nothing worked. It wasn't until we arrived home and Amelia was able to partake of some pure milk that the screaming stopped. And Peter says, Peter commands, Peter inspired by the Spirit of God commands us to be like newborn babies. Now some of you may uh, 
be familiar with Paul's words to the immature church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he writes, But I, uh, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready. I only mention this because Peter and Paul both relate uh, the Word of God to milk, to eating, to food. But I, but I want you to see that they are illustrating very different things. Paul is telling the Corinthians that they are immature, like infants in their faith. That they can only take in milk, not solid food. But that's not what Peter's doing. He's not telling us to be immature like babies. That's not the point. He's telling us, uh, uh, us, just like babies long for their mother's milk, you are to long for the Word of God, the pure milk of God's Word. The, the Word is your source of nourishment, your source of life. Also, Peter's not contrasting milk with solid food. He's not just talking to immature Christians here. He's telling us all to long for the Word of God like babies long for their mother's milk. Now, the phrase long for in the Greek means to yearn, to intensely crave possession of, to earnestly desire. In a negative context, it can even mean to lust after. Amelia made this kind of longing really clear to me. Her longing was so great, it caused her to scream uncontrollably for her mother's milk, and it caused my head to explode. No, it didn't. So the question for us is, do we, in a similar way, long for God's Word? Do you earnestly desire, intensely crave the pure milk of the Word? Now I'm guessing that for most of us, the answer would be uh, sometimes. Or, I remember I used to. Or maybe uh, some would say, I've never really craved for the Word of God like Peter describes. And, and maybe that bothers you, and maybe it doesn't. I've heard people say, I, I just don't have time to read the Bible. Or, you know, I'm just not that into reading, period. So the Bible falls in with that. It's not my gift. I don't like to read. We may, we may even think that long, this kind of longing for the Word of God is, is for, for some, like pastors, of course, but not for everyone, not for me. Well, Peter isn't talking to pastors. He's not writing to pastors. He's writing to, remember, elect exiles, all believers. And he would say to you and to me, whether we have time or not, whether we're into reading or not, you are commanded to long for the Word of God. Now notice Peter didn't say, he didn't command us to study. There's another verse that does that, actually. Or read, or meditate, even hear, listen to the Word of God. Those actions are great, and they're required as well. But that's not where he's focusing He's focusing on our hearts that will lead to those actions. Because we can read and study and meditate even without a pure heart, without a desire. We can do it out of discipline. But he says, 
long for the Word of God. He's focusing again on our emotions. Long for, desire, crave God's Word. Now, isn't that amazing? A command to desire. A command to feel longing that we may not feel. A command to feel desires we may not have. We talked about the fact that throughout Scripture, God commands our emotions, our feelings. He commands us to rejoice. He commands us to feel gratitude. He commands us to love, etc. And now the command comes to long for something. But you say, I can't really control what I long for. When I smell fresh-baked bread, I automatically desire to eat fresh-baked bread. And when I smell garbage, I automatically lose my desire to eat anything. I don't really have control over my desires. If I don't desire something, then I just don't desire it. If I don't feel things the way the psalmist, the sons of Korah to be exact, seemed to be feeling things when they wrote, as a deer pants for the flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God... If I don't feel that way toward God, toward His Word, then that's that. I just don't. I'm not like the sons of Korah. We might even say, God didn't make me that way. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not a passionate kind of person. I don't feel things like that. And yet the command is still there. Long for the pure milk of the Word. So the obvious question is, uh, what can I do to obey a command like that? How do I just produce a desire, an emotion, a feeling, when my whole problem is that I don't have the desires I want? And yet God's Word tells me to desire. Well, John Piper gives insight into God commanding our desires when he says, you command me to desire something I don't, you may as well tell a lame man to walk. Can you imagine such a thing? Commanding a lame man to walk? Who could do such a thing? I think our problem is uh, the way we view commands. We think commands to us, we think of them only in terms of our ability or inability to keep them, to obey them. We hear a command, and what we hear is, this is something I must do. Or put simply, we hear the law. We we make little or no distinction between obedience to the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant, and obedience to the commands given in the New Testament, the New Covenant. But we should. The author of Pilgrim's Progress, are you guys... Uh, one of our small groups was going through... Are you guys still going through Pilgrim's Progress? You finished it. Nice. So, great book. At one time, maybe still is the second best-selling book of all time next to the Bible. The author of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, gives us some help here. In a simple, untitled poem, he shows the difference between the old and the new covenants. Let me read it. Bunyan writes, Run, John, run, the the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. 
Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Let that sink in for a minute. In other words, in the Old Covenant, God gave commands, but in general, He didn't give the divine power that overcomes the the deadness and depravity and rebellion of our hearts. But in the Gospel, the New Covenant, which God set up at the cross of Christ, God gives us even harder commands, like uh, rejoice always. Really? Just to name one. But he also gives the power we need to obey these commands. Run, John, run the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. We are duty-bound to run. God commands us to run. You must run, even though our feet are willfully frozen in the ice of sin. We can't run in ourselves. And so the commands of the law condemn they, bring, they show our sin and they bring condemnation. But then there's the gospel. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Now the gospel is not different in having no commands, no conditions. There are many. When we come to Christ, we are commanded to give our very lives to Him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's a serious command. Flying is hard. It's harder than running. The commands of the new covenant are harder than the commands of the old covenant. The old covenant, you were supposed to give a tenth. The new covenant, you're supposed to give a hundred percent. But in the new covenant, we're empowered to obey these commands. He gives us wings. This is exactly what we talked about last week with regards to the command to love one another earnestly. Chapter 1, verses 22-23. Having purified your souls, God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, purified your souls to enable you to have a sincere brotherly love for one another, then you can love one another earnestly from that pure heart that He gave you. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. When we respond in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the the Word of God, we're born again through that Word. The imperishable Word of God. We get wings. And I'm not talking about angel wings that Clarence was giving out when the bell rang in Wonderful Life. Talking about figurative wings to fly. We receive a new life, a pure heart, and therefore we're enabled, we're lifted up to love one another earnestly. And I would add, with these this new life and pure heart, we're enabled to long for the pure milk of the Word. God commands us to love because He's transformed our lives. He's given us a new heart and He continues to empower us to love one another. And God commands us to long for His Word because He's transformed our lives. He's given us a new heart and He continues to empower us enable us to long for His Word. Again, under the new covenant, 
we are not only commanded to obey, but we are empowered to obey. In Christ, we can fly. St. Augustine, in his confessions, captures this truth. O love that ever burnest and art never quenched, O charity, my God enkindled me, thou commandest continence or self-control, grant what thou commandest and command what thou wilt. Grant what thou commandest and command what thou wilt. Simply, God, command what you will and grant me the power, the ability to obey your commands, whatever they may be. That should be our response when we encounter any command that we feel unable to keep. That's the way we're supposed to pray and believe when we read 1 Peter 1.22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Or when we read 2 Peter 2.1, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Or when we read 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. Well, I can't do that. I don't do that. I'm not doing that. Well, grant what thou commandest and command what thou wilt. Long for it. And if you don't have the longing, get the longing. Do you not desire the word? Start desiring it. Do not say, I'm just that way. Do not settle for the way you are. That's the problem. Especially when it comes to obeying these emotional commands that are not uh, infrequent in Scripture, especially the new command, don't settle for the, who you are, who you feel you are in the moment. It's not what God has for you. Instead, get on your knees and cry out to God. Repent. Don't say, this is, this is just how I am. Repent of who you are. Repent of your lack of longing, your inability to obey this command, and beg God to give you the ability the power to do it. God, grant me the ability, the power to long for your word. First, because you commanded it. And I gave myself to you. I was bought with a price. I'm yours. You own me. So I have to obey. God, I don't feel this longing. You're going to have to give it to me. I need a little, I need some more wings, God. So first, because God commanded it, but, but also know this, God has commanded your longing, God has commanded all things to you, not, not only for His glory, which was revealed in His Word, but for your own good. We see this at the end of verse 2, where we find the effect of desiring God's Word. Like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it, by the word, you may grow up into salvation. Peter is saying that longing for the pure word of God, and there's an in-between, if you're actually longing for it, it's going to be, you're going to be seeking it out, you're going to be screaming for it, you're not going to rest until you get it into you, 
So longing for the pure milk of God's Word will result in your growing up into salvation. Now, what does Peter mean by, uh, by you may grow up into salvation? I thought we were saved once for all when, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith, right? Done deal. And yes, when we believe, when we trust in Jesus Christ, by God's grace, we are saved from eternal condemnation. We are saved from eternal, the eternal penalty of sin. Our sins are forgiven. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But we still must grow up into our salvation. There is a necessary growth to be done in our lives. How many don't know that? How many think they've reached perfection? Raise your hand and tell me how you did it, because I'm not there. Necessary growth to be done in our lives. As children, especially if you're in a less than rich family, I guess I could say, we, we sometimes receive clothes, hand-me-downs or things like that, that are too big for us. Here's the gift, these clothes. The clothes are ours. We have them, but we still must grow into them. And in a similar way, we receive the gift of salvation. We have it. It is ours. We are saved and we're declared righteous before God. But that salvation and all that it entails, it is really big. And we need to grow into it. In this life, we are continually growing up into who God has saved and declared us to be. There's always room for growth. And Peter is saying the way to experience this growth is through the desire for the Word of God. Remember again from last week, it's through the Word that God reveals Himself. It's through the Word that we grow in our relationship with Him. It's through the Word that we see His glory and we're changed. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we have been reconciled to God, the veil between us uh, has been removed. We can now see God. And when we behold His glory through His Word, we're transformed into the same image. Uh, from one degree of glory, it takes time. It's a degree-by-degree degree transformation, a step-by-step step transformation. We're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Which means we're growing up into our salvation. We're growing to be more like Christ. We become who God has made us to be and declared us to be in Christ Jesus. It's through the Word that reveals the glory of God that we grow up into our salvation. So long for the pure milk of the Word. And never say, oh, I can't grow, I'm done. I'm retired from growing. I can't change. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. And in fact, I don't really need to. I'm good. 
Throw that kind of uh, thinking out like smelly trash. And seek God with all your heart for help in desiring His Word. And let me tell you, the best uh, way to increase your desire for the Word of God. I, I know the secret here. Uh, or should I say, Peter tells us the best way to increase your desire for the Word of God. You want to know what will cause you to long for God's Word? What God, what is, what God uses in your life to cause you to generate, to create this longing? Well, that's what we find in verse 3, the cause for desiring God's Word. Let me read verses 2 and 3 again, all together now. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now most of the time, uh, the cause comes before the effect in writing. He fell into a hole and broke his leg. The cause is the fall, the effect is the broken leg. But Peter puts the effect before the cause. However, we could read these two verses like this, if uh, or since, really. It's not like if you have or haven't, it's, it's, a, it's if since. If indeed you have tasted the, uh, that the Lord is good, which they have, by the way, in the verse, they've heard the word preached, then like newborn infants, you will long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So what causes us to be like newborn infants and and long for the pure Word of God like they long for their mother's milk? Well, the longing comes when you get a taste. I have uh, actually no memory of being a newborn infant. No, No memory of longing for my mother's milk. In fact, I think I was fed formula. I think at that time formula was better than Breast milk, can I say that in church? Okay. But I do know that a taste can produce longing. I experienced this uh, when Christine and I were going to visit a friend in the hospital. This was pre, pre-COVID, right about a little bit before. We called ahead and asked her if there was anything we could bring her. Uh, she requested a PB cold brew from Juice It Up. How many have had a PB cold brew from Juice It Up? Oh man, you guys are missing out. A drink which includes chocolate and coffee and peanut butter and other stuff. Now, I'd never tasted a PB cold brew in my life. That was not my go-to drink. And even though I thought it was a little strange, I ordered one for myself as well. And once I tasted it and realized how good it was... I began to desire for it. I would have cravings for it. I began to go to juice it up uh, and indulge in a PB cold brew uh, a little too often. Now, I'm not saying that the PB cold brew is as tasty as the Word of God. The point is, when we get a taste of something good, our desire for that thing begins to increase. It's true with food and drink, and it's true with God as well. It's when we get a taste of God, when we experience who He is, when His love and mercy and kindness are are more and more revealed to us. It's when we get that taste, that longing for more will grow. So the question is, how do we get a taste of God's goodness that we might long for His Word? Well, 
This may seem circular, but we get a taste by hearing his word. Remember, at the end of chapter 1, Peter said to his readers, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news. The gospel was preached to, to them, and it's being preached to you right now. You received it, you believed it, and you were converted. And in so doing, you got a taste of God's goodness in the gospel. You saw, among other things, His love and grace and mercy in sending His one and only Son to die on the cross in your place. You've tasted that God is good. Now remember that taste and let it drive you to long for more of Him. And where can we find more of Him? In His Word, where He's chosen to reveal Himself to you and to me. In His Word, you will experience more and more of who He is, of His goodness. Everything about Him is good. Everything about Him is glorious. And in experiencing His goodness, you will grow up in your salvation. You will grow in your faith. So if you desire to grow in your faith... If you desire to taste more of God's goodness, then go to God's Word often, daily, as much as possible. Spend time hearing God's Word in good sermons, like this one. Oh, did I? It's a good one. I I know that. I've had bad ones. This is a good one. So, spend time reading God's Word in Bible-saturated. There are books out there. I mean, I'm not talking about fiction and stories and things like that. I'm talking about theology and devotional books and all of that. Some of them are, are filled with the opinions of the author. And some of them are saturated with Scripture. That's the kind of uh, books we should be reading. Sat- Bible-saturated books. It has the author's help and explanation, but he's talking about the Word of God, not what he did last week. But most of all, I think, spend time reading and meditating on God's Word. That's what you can do daily. Have that daily time in the Word of God that you might taste that the Lord is good. Leave, uh, that you might long more for it as you get that taste. So with that in mind, let me lead us into our time of communion by reading from God's Word. I've chosen to read uh, the first eight verses of Psalm 31 because Peter quotes verse 8 and later in in, uh, verse 3 there is a quote from Psalm 34, 8, and later he will quote other parts of this psalm. It's likely that Peter meditated at length on this psalm, which is about how the Lord delivers the righteous in their suffering. In Psalm 34, Peter seems to have tasted the goodness of the Lord and he's trying to impart it to his readers. And so, as I read the first eight verses of this psalm, just, just listen. Allow it to minister to your heart. Allow it to prepare your heart for communion. As you hear of God's goodness in this psalm, taste that goodness. Take it in and allow it to increase your appetite. Increase your longing for God and His Word. For it's through His Word that you can not only taste His goodness, 
but you can indulge freely and often in a full meal of His goodness. You don't have to stop at a taste. You can, uh, maybe the only, only, only time this is really good, you can gorge yourself on the Word of God. You can get a meal that will cause you to grow in your salvation. So David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Taste the goodness of God's deliverance from all your fears. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. Taste the goodness of God's ability and desire to save you out of your troubles. The angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for each person here as our desires for your word wane, wax and wane, Father. I pray that you would come alongside us and by the power of your spirit, you would increase our desire. Lord, draw us. Even, even when we don't have the desire, Lord, let us, help us to, to know if we go to your word. I've experienced this many times. You go to the word without the desire and you leave the word desiring more. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, help us to do that, that we might grow up in our salvation, that we might love one another earnestly, that we might see your glory and be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. So as we partake in communion together, as Sean has already instructed us, you might want to even now pull back that little tab of the bread. I'm looking forward to next, next month. I think we'll have some different kind of bread As we partake in the communion, uh, we remember the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We proclaim His death, His death in our place for our sins until He returns. And so I would encourage you again to taste and see the Lord is good. His goodness is pictured in the bread and in the cup. The broken body and spilt blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's during communion when we reflect on Christ's death for us, recorded in Scripture, that we're most able to taste and see the Lord is good. And remember that communion is for those who've trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So for those who have in faith given their lives to Christ, would you join me in the remembrance of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross? To the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember that God gave his one and only Son that he might be betrayed for you. 
that his body might be given up for you. Taste the goodness of the Lord as we partake in the bread together.